right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning this morning, and we've got one of our favorites on the line, Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning, Merrick. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. Uh, we're already talking about, you know, July 1st implications <laughs> with the Maple Leafs. We're, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if we're so giving checked them, out. Yeah, I don't know. If we're, we'll, we'll tee up game four tomorrow, right? Somebody said they're playing tomorrow. Yeah. I still don't believe it, Jeff. Well, we'll see who shows up uh, in, in what jerseys and in what. You know, I'll tell you what. There, there is one fascinating thing here, and I'm always, I'm always curious about what happens when a coach has an idea that okay, this whole thing is falling apart, and my neck is out here. Um, there's always a curiosity about how the coach does his lineup, right? Because I mean, you guys well know, your listeners know as well. Like there are certain factors that go into putting together a lineup. Some of those things are political. Some of those things are favors. Like, there's a lot of different things that go into to creating a lineup every single game. And in a situation like this, where you're Sheldon Keefe and this is a, a do or die, maybe for your you know for your position as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you just say, you know what, I need to put together what I believe is the best lineup to win, and all outside influences and all outside noise is gone. I'm really curious to see what Sheldon Keefe does with this lineup. Like it, it, it may go nowhere. Right, like it could be, you know, winding your wristwatch on the way to the electric chair. I don't know, but I'll be really curious to see what Keith thinks gives him his best chance to win this game. That's going to be one of the curiosities. Again, may go nowhere. Who knows? But it's at least at least a curiosity. Well, that's kind of what this season has felt like for Kyle Dubas, right? Like it was the most Dubasy team I think that we've seen, and Dubas got to do mm. what Dubas wanted to do at the deadline. It was. It felt like okay, this is finally me. This is my. Uh, yo, pure, unadulterated team. This is what my vision is. I've learned a lot, but this is what I want to put on the ice right now. And Keith deserves that. Like, I think some of the, uh, you know, part of this whole story is like how many people have an opinion, how many people influence decisions, and not that it really matters. Like, Keith, uh, hey, it might matter. They could win four in a row. But Sheldon Keith gets to put his lineup out there. Like, he deserves that for sure. And I think based on what we've seen, the precedent that, that has been set here, I think Dubas got that opportunity. And I don't know why Sheldon Keefe wouldn't. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that's why I think this is going to be fascinating here. Like, I'm I'm really curious to see. Like, does, does he go with... The sort some some of the uh, some of the set combinations. I mean, listen, this is a process organization. This is a process team. There's some process teams, and there are others that lead by you know game to game. And this is what I feel, and this is what I believe. But this is a process team. You know, is Sheldon Keefe of the mind that you know I'm going to go back with um, with what we've been doing uh, because eventually this is going to click, or is a time where we just see the most bizarre combinations uh, that uh, uh, of this lineup than we've than we've seen. I don't know. Like I'm uh, ultimately, I don't think in the grand scheme of things, uh, it really matters that much. This is a super tall order here. And, you know, the Maple Leafs are playing against a team that, you know, the more and more that I think about it are really reminding us of the 2012 Los Angeles Kings. Like you can go player for player and almost match up, you know, whether it's, you know, Bobrovsky playing as Jonathan Quick, whether it's Barkov playing as Kopitar, whether it's Montour playing as Doughty, whether it's Verhage as Justin Williams, whether it's Sam Bennett as Dustin Brown. Like this is the, the symmetries between just barely squeaking into the playoffs, knocking off a top team in the first round, sweeping a team in 2012. It was the St. Louis Blues for Los Angeles Kings here. It might be the Maple Leafs. Like the symmetries between that 2012 Kings team that won their first Stanley Cup and this Panthers team is 
kind of really eerily similar and, and kind of, you know, they're, 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 they're more similar than they are different. So I don't know that necessarily it matters a whole lot, but just as a, as a reason to tune in guys, as a <laughs> reason to have a look at, you know, have a peek under the hood of what Sheldon Keefe is going to try to do here. At least it's one area of curiosity, I suppose. You know, so much of the conversation around this team is boiled down to the core four, the big four guys. And I think, I think what a lot of people have drilled down on, and, you know, I think it's a, I don't know that it's the right place to end up, but I think it's a fair place for a lot of people to end up is they do a lot of body language doctoring. You know, these guys, when you look at Matthews, when you look at Marner, Nylander, Tavares, kind of to a man, they are not the most emotive individuals. How much do you think that matters? You know, I'm watching the Oilers game last night and everybody just seems mad you know vander kane goes and smokes peter angelo at the end of a period does he take a dumb does he take a dumb penalty yeah did i kind of love to see it you bet i did jeff and is is there a element of that missing from the leafs and not on the fringes of the roster but from the main pieces of it and how much of that is the thing that needs to be addressed because i think that that's what a lot of people are are kind of wondering in the aftermath because it's not flat out skill it's not that those guys aren't good enough to get it done we know they're capable in terms of just talent but they're to be something there and i think that's what a lot of people have kind of settled on where 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 do you fall on it i i tend to find a lot of that you know wearing of the emotions on the sleeves kind of performative like don't you like there's totally sure there's like like i i i have a hard time i really have a hard time believing because we, we've heard this criticism level of these players before oh look at them they don't care uh they've got their big contracts they don't care uh, you know, they've got their retirement funds all set. They don't they don't care. Look at them. You know, they just come off the ice. Um, I don't think you can make it to the NHL without having a strong desire. I don't think you can make it to the NHL without having, you know, marrying a, a, the, the idea of skill and passion at the same time. Um, for me, I don't necessarily need to see that. I think fans want to see that. I think fans want to see the the guy that smashes his stick coming off the ice because he's so angry. <laughs> um, I don't know. I kind of see a lot of that as 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 performance. I'm I'm more interested really in, in in results and the performance of look at me. I'm so angry because we had a bad shift. Um, I'd kind of like my players to be a little bit more emotionally neutral than that. So it's not a roller coaster, and the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think everybody's different. But this uh, there, there is one thing in there, I think, though, Brent, that you, that you really hit on. There is, a, there is a, a chill or a cool about this team or a laid-backness about this team that, that we don't see on other teams. And I just wonder if that is a byproduct of being as skilled as they are. Now, are they guilty of... You know, not making, uh, not playing "quote unquote" playoff hockey and making playoff plays and doing things like Dallas Aikens always talks about and sealing up boards and getting pucks off boards, etc. Yes, absolutely. Uh, are there major brain cramps that we see because of that? Yes, absolutely. But you know, the philosophy here is, you know, skill will emerge and skill will win, and that is that is that is the gamble here. That well, that essentially, guys, Kyle Dubas has taken from day one with this organization, right? Like one of the first things to the to the to the scouts when Dubas took over is like, look, if if the if the player you're looking at isn't an elite skater, take him off your list. You know, think there's 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 things that Dubas has done to indicate that his philosophy and his belief is skill will emerge and skill will triumph all. And this has always been his gamble with these players. I don't think we should be surprised that there's no, you know, smashing of sticks and screaming up and down the bench from anybody. Jeff, assuming that the Maple Leafs don't join that really exclusive list of teams that have come back from a 3-0 deficit, 
Do you think this organization has gotten the clarity that it needs during this run to make decisions no. to move forward? Oh, uh, I think they know what their decisions are. I, and it's so weird, though, isn't it, Justin? Like, you think of all the goodwill that was built up in the first round. And you think of, like, I was um, equating it on the radio show yesterday to my, my favorite types of videos to watch online are videos where people make these elite level knots and then undo them. I'm fascinated by these videos. I can't stop watching them. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's so bizarre. Maybe I'm just like old and weird now, but like, I, I can't stop watching these things. And it seemed like, you know, the, the Maple Leafs had tied up a knot, you know, at the end of the first round. Okay. That was the goal. Get out of the first round. That beast has been slain, but now it's been completely undone. Now, I remember having this conversation after the Leafs beat Tampa and just said, you know, half-jokingly, well, what if the Panthers sweep them, though? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, <laughs> here funny, we are. Funny joke, Jeff. And Great funny, joke. Yeah, good, good one, dum-dum. And, and now here we are. And everything that they built up in the first round has been completely erased. At least that's how it feels like to me. And I would imagine it feels like that around, you know, the, the organization and amongst the real decision makers at the top, top, top. You know, inside of 10 days here, all of a sudden, is everything back on the table? Because it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Like at every single level. Like, does the Dubas question still linger now? The Sheldon Keefe question still linger now? The core four question still linger now? It's almost as if, you know, here we are, you know, not even not even two weeks after the Toronto Maple Leafs defeat one of the best teams of this era or any other hockey era to get through the first round. And now it kind of feels like they're back at the starters line again. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. One, well, oh, 1,000%. They could come back and, uh, quite honestly, I expect them to win the next two games and push this to at least six, if not seven. But the die has been cast on how people feel about this team and how they performed in this series because that's the other knock on these guys is that, oh, you know, we saw it against Tampa, the 4-1 comeback, and it's great when it ends up resulting in a series win, but they did this against Columbus. And it's been, oh, no, we have 10 minutes left to steal a hockey game. Let's go find a way to do it. And I think that leads into, and again, I'm with you. I don't need the performative outrage, but I think that people look at these guys, seemingly turn it on at the end of a game that they're losing and say, where's that urgency been the entire time? And that's what goes back to the whole personality yeah. part of it. And again, I'm not saying that's the whole answer, but I think that that's where, where a lot of the kind of frustration bleeds from. And I don't, I don't blame people for that. Uh, you know, one organization that's not frustrated, maybe they were in their first expansion season because it didn't go like Vegas, but uh, the Seattle Kraken, uh, they've, they've found a way. Uh, nobody thought they'd get through the first round. Uh, here they are leading in the second. They shoot five past Jake Ottinger the other night. Uh, what's gotten into the Kraken, Jeff. Yeah, all of a sudden, Ottinger, and it wasn't just game three either, Brent, right? It was game one as well. And then Ottinger comes out and says, well, we're, I'm not going to have another game like that. And Ooh. then, you know, game two wasn't like that. But game three certainly was. <laughs> uh, and that's why we saw Scott Wedgwood. So, I mean, that's a factor. Um, and now we'll see about Miro Haskinen, who's questionable, although I still kind of think he's going to play here in, uh, in, in game four. But the, the first thing that you notice about Seattle is just how fast they are. Like, do you remember that first game, Colorado and Seattle? And we had been watching some playoff hockey, and then all of a sudden, boom, this series starts, and you're like, whoa. Like, Seattle and Colorado just went to deep water fast. And the Seattle Kraken haven't stopped. Like, they play at an incredibly fast pace. And, pace. and the other thing is, you look at how Dave Haxtall runs his bench. Like, there's, there's no superstars here, right? Like, Matty Beneers is going to be a superstar in the NHL, but he's not there yet. 
um, there are people that are you know close to you know knocking on the door of of being you know elite players. And I look at someone like I don't know Vince Dunn, for example, who I think is a, a fantastic defenseman. But there, there's no superstars on this team. So the the bench management skills of Dave Haxtell to me are, is is one of the great stories. And that is, you look up front, nobody gets 20 minutes. Right, nobody's getting, nobody's hitting the twenty-minute mark. Now, if they run into a lot of penalty trouble, you might see Yanni Gord up at twenty. But generally, no one's getting twenty minutes, and also, no one's getting into single digits on the fourth line. Like Tanev is not going to get single digits. Donato isn't you know, going to hit single digits, and Daniel Sprong, who we saw leave the uh, leave the uh, the leave game three at the end of the second period, he doesn't get single digit minutes as well. So it's a really evenly distributed bench and it almost allows uh Hackstall the um uh, the luxury of just flat out rolling lines. And this team plays with a discipline and a speed. Like that's the one thing that um that that people tell you after they play the Seattle Kraken and we saw this during that was a seven game road trip in January. That road trip that we thought was going to kill them. They went 7 and 0. Yeah, pasted the Leafs during it, yeah. Right. I mean, and remember what they did to the Boston Bruins? Like it was, it was insane. Um, the one thing that people will tell you is they play at that, they get to that pace quick and they stay there and they force you to get out in deep water with them. And they say, okay, we're going to tread water here in the really, really deep part of the ocean. How long can you hang with us? Because they can. I mean, this is, this is a marriage of skill and work rate that we're not seeing in the NHL. Now it does help. Again, I always got to catch myself. It does help when you're getting good goaltending. And I don't know any goaltender who's, you know, Im- improved himself to the point of significantly helping his team in the postseason more so than Philip Grubauer. Like this was this was Avalanche Grubauer that we're uh, that that we're seeing here. And you know, last season wasn't great by his or any other standards. This season was a little bit better for Philip Grubauer, but as the playoffs have started, he's been one of the he's been flat out one of the best netminders in the game. Last one for you, Merrick, because I know you got to uh, we got to let you go. Uh, you can choose your own lens with this one, but I want to know. Barring okay. we're going to say the Leafs are are toast. Okay, we're going to take the Leafs out of the equation here because they, they are. I, I want your best Stanley Cup final remaining on the board, and it could be through the fan, through the eyes of you know maybe a TV exec, maybe a, a historian, a fan. What do you think the best Stanley Cup final possibility remaining is? Hmm. Okay, I'm going to give you a funny one. Um, in order to torture all of my work colleagues who would have to travel during the Stanley Cup final. Now, I think the longest distance... Just say Freege. We know you want to torture Freege. (laughs) Okay, so just to torture Freege. The longest distance between two teams in the Stanley Cup was Ottawa and Dawson City, which would have been 1905. So I'm going to pick the longest distance here and go... Florida and Seattle. Now, I know from a TV point of view, the sound of that may be a little cringy uh, to people, certainly stateside. But in my endless goal, Brent, to your point, to torture Freege, I'm going to go Florida, Seattle, just for the longest travel in between two cities. How about that? How many two, three-day breaks we get in that Stanley Cup final? Probably a few. No kidding. We yeah, need media, media be begging for it. Uh, Merrick, always fun. Uh, we'll do it again uh, <laughs> next week, and we'll see if Elliot's closer to uh, that uh, long-distance Stanley Cup final. He's a little older now, so he might be cranky. <laughs> make, make, him, make him travel. Make him live in airports. Thanks, Merrick. Thanks, boys. Uh, that's Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. 12 to 2. And co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and they are churning out content, those two. I love the car casts. 
love getting like it's always a little surprise. Thirty two, yes. like do a little refresh on the podcast. Oh, what's uh, that? Oh, we got another thirty two thoughts. Seems like a daily occurrence, which has been a great thing. Let's get to something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. Okay, so thank you, thank you. Please, I don't <laughs> want to torture anybody. What's going on, Josh? We we gotta we gotta get gunners. No, um, no. Uh, you don't. <laughs> it's like Beetlejuice. If you say it two more times, it's going to appear. Please don't. <laughs> it's, pro- it's probably it's probably coming when we least expect it here. Mm, yum, 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 ah! yum. Uh, okay, so tough day for Francesco Accolini. I mean, he's made of money, but he doesn't like spending his money. At least that's what I'm led to believe. And he was fined $50,000, or at least the Vancouver Canucks were, for holding off-ice training sessions with players in April following the 2022-23 regular season. According to Rick Dollywall, the sessions took place between April 17th and 23rd in Vancouver with six players, up to six players rather, working with Daniel and Henrik Sedin. My question to you, Gunner, is what took so long for Daniel and Henrik to get on the ice and why did they do it after the season? Yeah, I got I got nothing for you there. I would argue it's because uh, that would be involving work and those guys are retired. So why would they involve themselves uh, in the car crash that was the Vancouver Canucks entirety of a season? God love you, Gabby. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly what, what it was. Uh, a little odd that that's, that's happening now. And uh, yeah, I, I don't even understand why that's a fine, to be perfectly honest. I know CBA stuff and you have work days and non-work days and all of that. But this goes back to like, this has been a problem for the Leafs. I know, shocker, make everything about the Leafs. Yeah. In the middle of summer, though. But they have the Leafs got in trouble because they had referees refing summer <laughs> yeah, skates. Yeah. They there were teams complaining, yeah. we can't afford the insurance and to turn on the lights. So I think that's kind of what's at play here. I don't even understand why teams can't do this. Is it pro sports or is it not pro exactly. sports? Are you trying to unturn every stone or are you trying to, you know, just during the season and just when it counts? I, I can't for the life of me. And I, I know CBA, work days, all that stuff. I get it. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, last time I checked, there's still a lot of hockey happening on April 17th uh, until the 23rd. This is the same league that made the Canucks and Flames play each other when they both were eliminated from the playoffs, okay? So if you care so much about that is a great player point. health or work balance or whatever, my goodness. That is a terrific point. Uh, it's really, Has really, there ever been really, a, really ridiculous. There's never been a more pointless hockey game in what, the history of mankind. No, there hasn't been. What are, what are the conditions for, like, if Henrik and Daniel just want to, like, get out on the ice, can they, like... Can Dakota Joshua just come, or is that like? Can it not be at Rogers Arena? Like, what is? What are the parameters here? Sounds like a Yellowstone character. First things first. Dakota Joshua. Did I did I get that Apparently right? He was on the ice. Okay, sounds Him and like Jack Stadnika. Okay, I've heard of that guy. They both sound like yellow uh, Yellowstone <laughs> characters. Kevin Costner is going to appear in a second. You're right. It makes no sense. There is no rhyme or reason to why these things can or can't happen. You know, the, it goes back to like the idea of all these like youth things. It's like, oh, this isn't a tryout. It's a birthday skate. You know, this is in the bones of hockey to its core, finding ways to skirt these rules. And again, I I understand. I do. But guess what? It's pro sports. Everybody is doing more than they possibly can, trying to find that extra edge. Nuts does not make a lick of sense. It's hilarious because there is under no circumstances will this will these skates have improved Dakota Joshua's game to the extent it needs to be like an impact player next year with the Vancouver Canucks. Like this is money not well spent. No, no not chance. At all. I, and I know Daniel and Hennick, Hall of Famers, great. But it's not going to do anything for you. So, well, and, you know, and here's, save the money. And just to get in my shot at the Sedins that I have to all the time, are they going to teach those guys how to be twins? Because that was kind of the whole secret of their success. Great individual players, sure. Go ahead and pick any all-star level player in NHL history. 
give them their twin brother that they've played with their entire life that is completely complimentary games to one another, I bet it would raise the guy's level a little bit. I am a guy who has died in the wool of Matt Sundin watching him play with Jonas freaking Hoagland. Imagine Michael Sundin was on the left side. The chemistry those two guys would have had. So it's always my thing with the Sedins. Yeah, great players, okay? They're not going to teach those guys to be twin brothers and have symbiotic relationship yes. and have telekinesis or right. whatever they got going on. Twin brain. All right, I'm going to give you my first uh, succession fanfic mm. idea for MLS. Yes. Okay, I want uh, LT, Larry Tannenbaum, mm-hmm. pulling Kyle Dubas into a boardroom at yes, some point I love here. this. And plotting he's the demise. He's the Frank of this one. No. <laughs> uh, he's... Uh, <laughs> LT yeah. does have some Frank vibes to him. <laughs> LT, LT is the, he represents all the people that have power without yes. actually like working at the yes. company. And not to say Larry Tannenbaum yeah. doesn't put in an honest effort. Yes. But in this sense, that's what's, that's what's going on here. Hey, he's power a chief broker. team breaker, team builder. Okay. He was the guy who had Scotty Barnes outside of the Raptor exactly. or he's, outside of the Leafs room after they beat Tampa. So you, you give go. him the championship trophy. That's right. You that's do right. it for a reason. Well, uh, <laughs> it's because that league does it wrong. That's why you do it. But that's, that's, that's neither here nor that's there. That's true. Uh, they're plotting the demise or the ouster of Brandon Shanahan oh, in my oh, preferred oh, succession oh. fanfic. Now, he's got to have a real conversation. I mean, it can't be, hey, we're promoting you. Okay. I mean, you haven't done enough job. Like, sure. look at the numbers. Look at the margins. Look at where our stock's at. Look at all those things. But we do want you to run this organization. Organization. Okay. We want you to be running it and not Brendan Shanahan because you have proven yourself more than Brendan Shanahan has over the last six, seven, eight years or whatever it's been. Mm. So LT and Dubas, okay. kind of like Kendall Roy yeah. and, uh, you know, the people that are, what was Frank. the name? Frank. Board minions. Board, board guys. Yeah. Uh, they plot the demise of... I guess Logan Roy in this in this sense being yeah. Brendan Shanahan kind of feels and, like uh, there's a there's a power move and ouster and Kyle Dubas still still general manager still just on a couple year extension mm-hmm. which he's going to get here yep. but running the organization as opposed to Brendan Shanahan mm, I like that I like that I want to be clear don't think that's what will happen but I'd love the idea of that as a plot I would actually if somebody if we want to do like a, a CBC or a, a CTV version or a city TV version of that <laughs> I would very much sign up for that I'm telling you this could be this if we actually saw what's going on it belongs at HBO Fra- Fra- Frank D'Angelo if you're out there I know you like making movies maybe this is the one for you uh, I go the other way. You're talking about somebody working their way up. You know, I'm not not too many spoilers here, but there's a certain character that's offered themselves up to go to jail. Mm-hmm. I think Kyle Dubas goes to his boy, Sheldon Keefe, and he says, I got to prove I'm a killer, just like my, my daddy, Brendan Shanahan, wants me to. I got to knife my best friend. Sorry, Sheldon. <laughs> this is it. And they have all the conversations, golden parachutes. We're going to stuff so much gold, all that stuff. I think that's what happens. That's not my theory. I actually think that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to say, there's there's one bullet or there's two. It's up to you how many you'd mm. like to use. I can use two or you can use one. And I think that is my dream succession backplot and exactly what I think is going to happen here. Okay, we'll both cook up one more. We'll do that at 830. Love it. This one may be a little bit more aggressive, maybe more fanatical or or fan fiction-esque. Yes. Uh, we will do that at 8.30, but next we'll chat with John Morosi, uh, get a little Blue Jays pulse, talk about the AL beast, and go around the league just a little bit with one of our favorite guests, John Morosi, after the break. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkin Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, Blue Jays back in action on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Following an off day Monday, Blue Jays visit the Philadelphia Phillies, 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet Now, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590, as well as the Sportsnet app. It'll be Alec Manoa and Aaron Nola on the bump. We're still in that... uh, pattern where the aces still run into each other like it's yeah. early enough in the season nice. where we still get like yeah there's a lot of off days obviously so you get to the point where there's a little a little disjointed maybe discrepancy you, get, you say kikuchi yes. versus aaron nola well he is the ace but he, he, he kind of has been the ace yeah you're right the back end of the rotation definitely doing its job of late picking up manoa and gosman after a difficult series in boston and to talk about that and more we got John Morosi, one of our faves uh, on the line now, obviously the MLB Network insider and one of our regulars. John, how are you doing this morning? I am outstanding, Justin and Brent. Uh, great to hear your voices, and uh, I, I'm excited about this, J- this Jays team. I saw them last week in uh, in Boston, and they were struggling, and then I, I, I left them, and all things got better there in, in Pittsburgh. Okay, so what, what stood out to you when you saw them up close and personal? Clearly, the results didn't go. It was uh, kind of an outlier if you remove the, the, the very good and the very bad. The Blue Jays have been very, very good this season, uh, but that was definitely their low point in Boston. What did you see from them just kind of in that context, but also big picture as a whole? What's standing out about this team right now? Sure. I, I think that that week was, was challenging weather-wise. It was, it was not a good uh, – when we had our broadcast there last Wednesday, that was the, the really tough defensive game where things unraveled a bit on, on the Jays. And so I, th- I think that their, their defensive shortcomings, which I think are still part of the overall story – were there on on display. I, I also thought that even though they were down in the game, that their their at bats were were still very very good, very thorough throughout. And I think that's that's the kind of mentality that a you would expect out of a out of a good ball club. And b it was that mentality that allowed them to, to sweep a series against what's been a really hot Pittsburgh team to, to begin the year uh, over the weekend there. And I think they showed a lot of character with without Vlad those the, the final two games there in Pittsburgh. It was really important, I think, to uh, for the sounds of what the medical information is on Vlad's situation, uh, to get that left wrist quieted down. It's his bottom hand, so it's the last thing that touches the bat. It's a really important part of his of his swing mechanics. So I, I think that for for him, uh, I'll be curious to watch him this week and, and see how, how well he bounces back. That's obviously a huge question for the Jays and, and making sure that his production is still what it always has been. But I, I think that, and I heard you mentioning it, Justin, as we as we came on the air here for the segment. I, I think that the the way that Kikuchi is pitched um, is is a huge story for this team, and that if if he can maintain this consistency. I, again, it's not just down to one player, but if he's consistent and if he's this sharp, this team is is well on its way to the postseason, and you really like their chances uh, going beyond that as well. Yeah, Kikuchi has been, quite frankly, a difference maker for this team, and you know, it it, it felt like everyone had prepared themselves for the possibility that he might be good, but here we are, and he's actually being a, a really, really productive member uh, of this rotation. The guy who's going to get the ball tonight, uh, we've seen him at his best this year, a couple of starts, going seven innings, really looking dominant, but outside of those couple of starts, it's been a pretty up-and-down year, and 
and that's being generous uh, for for Alec Manoa. You know, some people have hypothesized that for a pitcher like him, both just in terms of age and then just physicality, a bit of a bigger guy, he's a little bit more deliberate out there that maybe the pitch clock is kind of hampering him more than others. How much do you think that is at play versus just this is what it's like being a young player? We kind of saw similar things with Vladdy Guerrero that, you know, you come out, the league is good. It's a battle back and forth of adjustments for the first few seasons of your career. Uh, what are you seeing with Manoa and his struggles so far this season? It's a really important question, Brent. I, I, a couple of things stand out to me. Number one, when he struggled early on this season, it was really because the slider wasn't wasn't there. It wasn't consistent. And I think it, that that has become more consistent, I believe, over his last several outings. It's probably not still where it needs to be, but it is trending in the right direction. So that's that's number one. The, the slider is... To me, more more of more of an issue than than the than the pitch clock, and, and I do think eventually he will adjust to that. It's 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 been an adjustment period for a lot of guys, and I think for Alec it, it certainly has been. The other piece of the equation for for Alec Manoa in general is we have to remember he is not someone that throws the ball 100 miles an hour. He he needs to. Um, and by the way, you can have great success in this sport without throwing 100. Clayton Kershaw is going to the Hall of Fame, and, and he never really has. So I think that for, for Alec, early on in the season, sometimes the, the margin for error is, is, is not as great, and, and, and you're going to have some struggles if, you're, if your velocity isn't, isn't quite where it needs to be. So I, I do think the weather's getting better here for, for all of our outdoor stadiums here in the, in the States, and I think eventually we're going to see Alec get back to the form that's made him one of the top pitchers in the game. Uh, so the back end of the rotation has really stepped up early on this season for the Blue Jays. Uh, we saw it most recently sweeping away with the Pirates with Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi. I think not that they're bailing out the top of the lineup at all, but I think we've seen some really, really positive things at the bottom end of the lineup too for the Blue Jays with Whit Merrifield uh, having a big weekend, Kevin Kiermeyer being very... Uh, I wouldn't say consistent, but consistently having these pockets where he's been very, very helpful uh, from an offensive standpoint. It seems like balance has been a good thing for this Blue Jays team, that the changes to the lineup have been positive ones, and you're getting that re- that, that validation and affirmation early on this season with uh, the back end of the lineup um, really coming through in spots. Do you see that the same way? I do, and, and I think really important when, when you consider Merrifield and, and taking over the, the second base job, I know obviously that was a big question for this team entering the year, who was going to play second base, how would the playing time all, all sort itself out. When Witt is batting as, as he is now in the around the 290 range and, and putting the ball in play a lot with his base running, with his defense, um, he, he's just a, he's a really really good baseball player. He really is, uh, and I've watched him for a long time in, in the American League Central. They're playing for Kansas City. I'm just a huge fan of what he does and the pride that he takes in in the game. I had a really good conversation with Witt last week, and he said, and I loved it. He said, you know, about his defense at second base, it, with a lot of confidence. He said, I, I believe in the past I've been a Gold Glove defender, but because I've moved around a lot. Maybe I haven't gotten that same recognition where people realize what I can do defensively. And, and Witt's a humble guy, but he's also a very proud guy. And I really, I thought that was a really interesting thing for him to say about just his own, his own ability and knowing what he can do. And I just, I, I loved hearing that from him. I, I think Varsha was really come along. Uh, I think his, uh, again, the adjustment period of a new team, new league, all those elements that, that I think that certainly over the last week or so we've seen a, a different version of Varsho. And if he's going to hit for power, 
belt had a certainly a, an encouraging weekend too. This is the vision of this team was to balance out the right-handed bats with left-handed, and and whether it's Varsho, Belt, Kiermaier, um, this is how this lineup is supposed to work together. And, and you obviously had a, t- a ten-run performance without Vlad. That's a really good sign. I, I realize maybe the the Pirates are coming back down to earth a little bit, but but that was still, I think, that the way that series ended, a really really nice note to finish on. And, and in general, I'm I'm a big believer that the, that the Jays have the right offensive personnel here. Maybe they end up adding one more bat, but I, I think in general this this lineup is really close to being where it needs to go. And maybe you talk about getting one more uh, one more reliever, one more adjustment there to the bullpen for for the deadline. But for all practical purposes, um, th- this is the team that's gonna that's gonna get you to where you need to be. You might make a, a couple little adjustments here, but I, I I don't think this is a year where, where we're going to be talking in the late days of July about a, a blockbuster trade the Jays need to make. The, the team as it is right now is in pretty good shape. Yeah, it feels like they're better optimized for the deadline. Like clearly, this isn't a team that's perfect. Clearly, there's areas of improvement, but it seemed like last year was just like, oh, we need so much and we need to fill up, uh, fill up all these different buckets. And that really is a challenge when you have to go out and do so much. It seems like it's a little bit more simple in terms of what they need to go out and get or what luxuries you can bring in to really put this team over the top. I did want to ask you about Dalton Varsho because it seems like he kind of holds the key from this lineup from being good to great or great to excellent, perhaps. Is his production that vital? It is, and I think I think that's a great point. He is someone that I've got a lot of confidence in him. I've watched him play for a lot of years. I've always been a big fan of him. Great person off the field as well. And I think he... He really fits well with this with this team, and and you consider even the way the lineup worked on Sunday. Without Vlad, you had Chapman batting fourth, and then Varsho batting ahead of him. I, I wonder if in in some instances you might want to elevate Varsho, and if he's hitting well, um, then then you can if you want to potentially. Uh, obviously, at some point you're going to have. Uh, Vlad and, and, and Bo near the top, and, and then you've got Chapman and th- this entire group. Springer, obviously, right now is, is leading off, too. Th- there's there's a lot of high-quality right-handed bats near the top, but if you can find a way to, to work Dalton in there, it just it gives the opposing manager more to think about late in the game. And that is the kind of thing that can impact a playoff series down the line, is, is if, if Dalton really gets going, then, then this lineup would have a, a major left-handed presence somewhere in the front half of the lineup to go along with all the great righties. I, I really think that you're spot on, Justin, about how he, he's the key that, that takes this team to, to the, the, the World Series contender realm if he really gets going. And, and, and just as a quick aside, I had a nice talk with him uh, last week as well, and he was just telling me about how much he really enjoys playing in, in Canada and in Toronto. I mean, his 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 hometown of Chile, Wisconsin, has uh, I think a few hundred people in it. So he he, he just he, he says that being in in Ontario feels a bit like being in Wisconsin for him from a just from a, a comfort standpoint. And he was uh, sharing with me how when 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 the Leafs won to advance to the second round, how he 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 opened up the window of his apartment so we can hear. The, the the cheers of the fans, which are which are going to come back, by the way. The, 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 this the series is not over yet there for the Leafs, but I, I just I want to tell that story just as, as a way of conveying that he uh, he really feels uh, connected to the community, and you can tell he's getting more and more comfortable on the field as well. Yeah, they were on the road in Pittsburgh, but if he would have opened his windows at home this weekend, he would have heard screaming. It just would have all had swearing <laughs> in it, John. A little, a little different 
Fine. Yeah, we're, not, we're not I so know. happy keep, up here. Keep the faith. Yeah. Keep the faith, my uh, friends. Keep the faith. Okay, I'll, I'll play along with you and say I will. Uh, uh, just to all our listeners out there, I am not keeping the faith. They will uh, end up losing this series. Uh, just stick with the Jays here, uh, uh, John. You know, obviously, you mentioned Vladdy, the idea of the lineup being more optimized. How important is it? And like you said, you know, it's not exactly the, the 27 Yankees that they beat out there in the Pirates without Vladdy. But how important is it for this team to be able to see themselves rack up a big offensive day like that without Vladdy in the lineup because look this is an awesome offensive team but with the trade of Teoscar Hernandez you've kind of put it all on Vladdy's shoulders in terms of being the big bopper and there's a lot of other quality bats but nobody that quite can do it like him or that Teoscar Hernandez was able to do it how important is it to this team to be able to kind of stick with this this hitting process to see it you know to see them pile up that many runs without their big slugger in Vladdy well, that's a really good point, and I do think that this lineup now is is built in a way that that there can be different players carrying the lineup for different stretches. I would say Matt Chapman certainly has been as as powerful as any player in the game. I think to begin the season, and and I I do believe that what he's doing, what Matt is doing right now, is is sustainable. He's He's making great swing decisions, and he's healthy. That was one thing that, in talking to Bassett, uh, Chris Bassett last week, Chris said that that he feels as though Matt, this is the healthiest he has ever seen Matt since his first year in the big leagues with Oakland. And, of course, Matt had the, the hip issue later on in his time with Oakland before the trade came to Toronto. And, and it was really interesting to hear Chris Bassett tell me that he feels as though now Matt is fully back. And, and for a surgery that big on your hip, um, it, it can take some time before you really get back to being yourself. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting observation that, that Chris shared with me about where Chapman is physically. And, and again, that he's combining that better, that better physical health, similar to what he had earlier in his career, with that veteran know-how and his understanding of how his swing works. And I just think you're seeing the very best of Matt Chapman. And, and that's where if, if Vlad has to miss a, a series, which is basically what happened over the weekend or, or a period of time, which you hope doesn't happen in the future, but they've got enough depth to, to carry that through. I think you compare the Jays without Vlad to the way the Yankees have had to manage without Judge, and it's, just, it's not been the same story for, for New York. They've really struggled without Aaron Judge in the lineup, and, and certainly their weekend against Tampa was part of that story. So I, I, I do think right now, if you look around the division, I think Toronto's lineup is, is deeper than New York's, certainly. Uh, I, I think it's still probably deeper than Boston's. You know, Baltimore's got a really unique and fun, diverse lineup because they can steal bases and do a lot of different things for you. I, I think Toronto's got the slug. Baltimore's got the athleticism, and then, of course, the Rays have been the best lineup in, in the planet. So I, I think you, you look at this at this team and say they're probably right in the middle or maybe a, a little bit above in, in the American League East, but they've got plenty of depth to carry them through the absence of any one player, even if that happens to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, we're talking to John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Yeah, the uh, the incredible run to start the season for the Tampa Bay Rays continues. Uh, have won eight, over eighty percent of their ball games, plus one eighteen run differential. They've been 
unbelievable. And people are starting to take notice down there in Tampa Bay. 32,000 fans in attendance. You got the, what is it called? The Randy, Randy zone where you hit a home run in there and you win pizza or something like things are, I think ha- it's beer. Right. things are happening at the drop. What's, what's going on there? People are taking notice of this team and, and, and treating it like the team that it is. Well, they should. And, and I really think, too, that it might be part of the conversation there and, and the enthusiasm. Obviously, you've got a historically great start. But in the back of their minds, there, there's also a little bit more momentum than we've heard in a long time for, for the ballpark situation to get, uh, to, get to a good resolution for, for, the, for the area of Tampa Bay and for the Rays to stay there. And, and they've just been so darn good to begin the season and fun to watch. That's the other thing is that a Rosarena – in, in Wander Franco as well, they are some of, I would say they're two of the top ten most entertaining players in the sport uh, right now. A Rosarena might be, goodness, it's, I think it's a Rosarena and Shoei are probably one, two, just in terms of what they do on the field and, and, and how exciting they are. Um, th- that, to me, is, is what I'm seeing with this Tampa Bay team. They, they've not just put a, a winning product on the field, but an exceptionally fun one as well. And, and that, I think, when you're still trying to really establish what your long-term future is going to be in the market, uh, obviously that team's been around for basically 30 years, but, but there's still that need to, to constantly prove that they're belonging there for the long term. And, and when you've got not just a great team, but one that's playing a really interesting brand of baseball, and and I also think this is one of those markets where the new version of the game, the rhythm of it, the shorter uh, the shorter time of game, I, I I do think that's helping more fans come out to the ballpark because it's a better entertainment product, and uh, I'm I'm thrilled for the for the players and for the fans in Tampa that that it's becoming a, a stronger relationship at the ballpark because it should because this is one of the more entertaining teams I've ever been around in my in my career covering the sport and and they deserve to have crowds like the ones they had for the Yankee series over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, a Rosarina, he kicked it off at the WBC and he hasn't really chilled out since. I mean, he put on an absolute show during during that tournament there. Right. Wander, and Wander Franco, I think such an important part of it and, uh, you know, for the Rays and their fans is if you look back to kind of the previous iteration of this team that we think of, it was Longoria and he had the long-term deal and fans knew, okay, pretty much everything else under the sun is going to get sold off at any given time and we can prepare ourselves for for that but at least we got Longo and he's here and the idea of having Wander Franco under contract for that amount of time I think it allows the fans to have some buy-in and not say all right this is great no sense in getting myself excited about it the fact that he's going to be there uh for for a really really long time you mentioned Otani it's like catnip to me I can't avoid it the Angels are four games over 500 is there a world where they're not actually going to trade this guy and I want to be clear I want him traded I want a sexy big trade in the middle of this baseball season John but uh the Angels and their start has it maybe not a absolute guarantee that he gets moved I agree and and they they continue to play well I think their their recent stretch has affirmed that they are they are contenders at least for now uh the American League West is not going according to what a lot of us projected you've got texas and, and the angels there at the top and and houston is still trying to find their footing of course the, the luis garcia injury for them or is still on the il mccullers is still on the il uh verlander is a mat 
<laughs> uh, Seattle all of a sudden is losing a bunch of one-run games, whereas last year that was their calling card. So um, I would say at the moment, just based on the way things are trending, um, the Angels are, are very likely, honestly, to keep him through the deadline. Uh, they, they, may, they may struggle to retain him in free agency, but they kept him, I believe, not just to, to get one more year of, of great crowds and, and, and marketing, et cetera. The idea was to win with him. And then in free agency, you take your chances. Uh, I, I still think that in many ways the odds are stacked against them in terms of retaining him after the season's over. If you were to ask me Angels versus the field, I would still say the field has a, a majority of the of the likelihood of that uh, that decision happening during the course of the off season. But that's that's a November, December, January conversation for us. And and by the way, we we will have that conversation all all off season long on on, on this show, I hope. But uh, but in the in the me- in the meantime, the Angels, they I, I really think that from an Angels management ownership standpoint, they're looking for a reason to keep him. Through this through the season, they really are. So if if they play well enough, um, I, I think management will will take that as a cue and say, "Yep, we'll keep them." Uh, because at the at the end of the day, let's let's think about this. They're also trying to get a new ballpark there uh, in Anaheim, and my goodness, uh, how would the fans react if they're in it? If they're above 500 at the deadline, and then they go ahead and trade Shohei, it would just that would not that would not go over well, my friend. So I, I think that they, uh, right now, are trending towards Shoei being an angel for the balance of the season, and then uh, uh, we we can talk about all the different possibilities uh, w- when the fall arrives. Uh, it's a tasty little two-game set with the reigning National League pennant winner Philadelphia Phillies this week for the Blue Jays. Yeah. That series begins tonight with some good pitching matchups. Manoa and Nola tonight and tomorrow will get Gosman and Wheeler expected. But it hasn't been uh, a great start to the season for the Phillies. Just 2-10 and 10 against teams above 500 this year. Uh, that, you know, the Blue Jays are comfortably above, above 500. That should portend good things. But, you know, that's why they play the games in these pitching matchups are good. Uh, what should we expect, though, from the Phillies after kind of an uneven start? They've been waiting for Bryce Harper, got Bryce Harper back. Like, what, what's what's sort of the vibe in Philly nowadays with the Phillies? Well, it's a great question, and first of all, happy anniversary to uh, to the Jays. They're 30 years later. They, they get to meet the Phillies in a, in a series here, which is always always good for the history books and, and reflecting <laughs> on, uh, on, on that. But I think Harper... His return has helped the Phillies a lot. Uh, the performance has picked up. Uh, Bryce, remarkably, he's batting 368. Uh, the, the power is starting to come as well. Um, the, the quality of his at-bats, you're just seeing what it means for that lineup to have Bryce uh, back and, and the impact he has on his, on his teammates as well. With, with Castellanos batting behind him, certainly that gives Nick a lot of opportunities to drive in runs. Um, I, I think Schwarber's start to the year has been a little bit slow. I think that, that's probably stood out to me that, that he was so good for them last year, leading the National League at home runs, and, and his presence uh, it just hasn't been the same production for, for Kyle to begin the year. So I, I do think he'll, he'll pick things up. He had a really good game on Sunday. Um, I, I, I still think that overall they're, they're missing Reese Hoskins, who for all the superstars they've had, Hoskins is the homegrown guy. He's the guy that, that I think has been the, the conscious of that clubhouse for a long time, and, and now he's out for the season in all likelihood. So that, that to me is, is still a significant loss. They, unlike the Jays, 
probably still need some modifications to their group at the deadline. The bullpen has, has let them down at, at different times. They've had some late leads get away. Um, and so I, I think that the lack of consistency in that bullpen has has really stung them a bit during the course of this early stretch of the season. But getting Harper back psychologically, baseball-wise, huge for the Philadelphia Phillies. But I, I would say this, if the Jays are trailing uh, tonight, tomorrow by, by a couple runs, uh, keep keep that uh, keep that television on and keep watching because I I, I believe that in a lot of ways uh, this Toronto team is is constructed well to come back on a Phillies bullpen that has yet to find its form from last postseason. Okay, good reminder for two folks uh, hosting a morning show who might be looking to get into bed a little early. Uh, yeah, last one up, for you. Up late. Nap. Yeah. Nap midday. Yeah, nap big, in the middle of the day, right? We do that every day, John. We do that every day. Uh, last one for you. Adam <laughs> Fentilli, Anaheim Duck. Are you you down with that? Uh, I, I'm excited for Adam. Obviously, uh, was watching the lottery carefully last night. Um, you know, Pat Verbeek, of course, uh, the, the GM there in Anaheim. I would expect that, that Pat will make that pick and, the, and that that's where uh, Adam Fentilli is going to go. Obviously, I'm excited to watch Adam play at Worlds. Uh, with Team Canada. It should be a great tournament. Uh, the U.S. has a pretty good roster as well. Um, I think certainly uh, from, from our Ann Arbor prism here, uh, the, the big question is, well, will Adam come back to Michigan for one more year the way Owen Power did uh, when he was obviously a high pick with, with Buffalo and then he came back for that one more season before he signed? Um, Anaheim traditionally has, has liked, uh, it seems, to get their guys in the system, but um, we'll see. Uh, I'll be really curious. Obviously, it's a different administration now uh, for Beak instead of Bob Murray, so uh, very curious to see what, what Anaheim's philosophy is on, on how, uh, how they want Adam to develop. I would certainly love to watch Adam play for one more season in, in, in Ann Arbor, but uh, he's already already left a huge impression on the program as the, the reigning Hobie Baker Award winner. So just a thrill for Adam and his great family as well. If he goes, we're all going to have to stay up late to watch Adam Fentelli <laughs> on the West right. Coast. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us this morning, and we'll talk to you next week. All the best, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for the conversation today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. That's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Uh, Blue Jays, as mentioned, starting their... Series with the Phillies tonight, 640 on Sportsnet 1, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And we've got a pair of Game 4s in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Carolina in Jersey, Dallas in Seattle. It'll be the Devils and the Dallas Stars looking up to looking to even up their series tonight on Sportsnet. Yeah, hope for those teams. Must be a hell of a thing to feel. God, the two, ability to tie up a series? Wow. 2-1 is so, so, so much better than 3 nothing. To discuss the 3 nothing hole that the Toronto Maple Leafs are in against the Florida Panthers, one of our favorites, and a guy who we got to give some credit uh, to uh, because he might have been on this a little bit more than everybody else, at least in terms of consequence and possibility. We'll get mm-hmm. to that and more with Luke Fox after the break.